Hey everybody and welcome into another episode of Mark Sports Talk. I'm your host Mark Dagenhart and I'm going to break down because when I started the, today's podcast there were 11 days till the regular season and I'm going to break down the all Arkansas 11-man team. The top 11 players and uh, I'm going to do just a player breakdown each day uh, leading up until the final game, you know, the final day uh, of fall and uh, the September 4th game versus Rice. And and to start that off, uh, I'm leading with Grant Morgan. When I thought about it, I was really putting a lot of stock into K.J. Jefferson or Grant Morgan. And uh, I was basically like, those are both your quarterbacks, of each the offense and defense and uh, I thought about the depth at each position and the importance of each player and I think um, based on the rest of the the players at his position on this list I think Grant Morgan is a solid pick for number one I think based on just looking at the Missouri game alone when he went out as a as a defensive player when he went out, basically we lost that game because of the defensive slump that happened after basically just a, a couple players went out of the game and, you know, primarily, most notably, Grant Morgan. And uh, that leads me to number two, which number two is the guy that everybody's talking about and everybody has been talking about since the end of the regular the end the end of the season last year and that's Traylon Burks the guy has trimmed up his body and gotten just in so much better shape uh defensive backs you know Simeon Blair and uh Joe Fouché were talking about how much just better he looks he's lighter but he looks bigger and he's more athletic and he's working on his route running. I mean, already you could see his ability to contort and jump and make great one-handed plays. I mean, earlier last week or earlier this week, uh, the university released a a little video clip of uh, of Traylon Burks making a one a great one-handed uh, one-handed catch in in a practice and. And that's just the type of ability he has at, at catching. I mean, he he has like uh, like three XL uh, gloves that they have to special order. I mean, apparently apparently they've never had to order these size gloves for him for for a player ever at any position, and and he's having to get those. But I mean, he he does a great job. He's gonna see. Based on the season, the first two seasons that he's had, this is his third year. Based on the hype that he's getting, I mean, he's been he's been said to be a first round draft pick. Uh, I I would expect most of the SEC schedule that we've already went over, uh, and and then, and then the tough non conference games that you have with Texas. I would expect the best defensive backs to to probably always be over. Traylon Burks, and I say always over in defensive backs because I don't think it's just going to be one or two. I think it's going to be three. I think you're going to have any number of nickel, corner, or safety variation aware of him 
especially until Arkansas shows you that they have another receiver to hurt you with. And until they do that, I think they can easily focus in on Traylon Burks. And then last season, Traylon Burks showed his versatility and showed his toughness by um, pitching in in the, the kick return game and punt return game. And that guy has just so much potential. I love putting a playmaker back there on special teams. It's just such a, a, a difference-making ability to put somebody back there that can just make a big play happen versus somebody back there that's going to be safe or smart. I mean, you want safe and smart, but you also want a big play. That's what, you know, swings games, That what that's what flips games, you know, field position flips games, but taking it to the house on, you know, on a on a 70-yard, you know, punt return or, uh, you know, a 100-yard kick return for a touchdown will do a lot better than just flipping the field position. And that's why I think Traylon Burks is number two. I think based on the amount of players that are on this list at Grant Morgan's position and the amount of depth and basically unknown behind Traylon Burks, that's why those are an easy one-two. Uh, it was really hard to differentiate between the top three players on the team, which number three is Jalen Catalan. If Grant Morgan were to go down, the next guy up to lead that defense is Jalen Catalan. But that guy, he has missed a lot of the Razorbacks' games on on defense, especially in the, in the second half because of uh, targeting penalties. And he doesn't seem to be at least... In you know, in a press conference, he doesn't seem to be the type to to withhold it all. I mean, he's not going to change how he plays uh, based on a couple penalties. And you know, the coaches want him to to change things up, and they want him to say different. But I mean, we'll see how how he plays. I mean, I don't think you can really easily change an aggressive player like that. I mean, that's what makes them great. I mean, I'd be interested to see how that affects his game. And how the penalties continue. But Jalen Catalan, you can obviously see how he affects Arkansas's defense. If you just look about last season when when he would get a targeting penalty. And you'd lose him for the the second half of the game. Or you'd lose him for the first half of the, the following game. And think about those halves where you went without him. Because those happened a couple times. Those happened a few times. And uh, and that that alone, those slumps, those the the feeling defensively that you had, whether Grant Morgan was in there or not last year, when when Jalen Catalan was out, there was a different feel, and the offenses, the opposing offenses, almost sure assuredly, you know, had some success moving the football, and there was no real just momentum swings as far as in the way of Arkansas. Once, once you take uh, that guy off the field, it's it's kind of like Arkansas's version of the Honey Badger. He's just, you know, a little bit less unknown at this moment. But I mean, earlier today, earlier this week, uh, he was named uh, preseason All American. So that's a very prestigious honor. And uh, hey, maybe he's not that unknown. But uh, that leads me to number four. And number four. Is KJ Jefferson? I've heard Trey Biddy say from two four seven that uh, in Hawk Sports that 
if KJ's good, then Arkansas's good. They're they're gonna be good. If uh, if KJ's not good, then they're not gonna be good. There's no experience behind KJ. Uh, there's not really any size to speak of as far as in comparison to to his his size. I mean, Malik Hornsby's the number two, and he's six two one eighty. Cade Renfro, uh, a walk on transfer from Ole Miss, is the the next biggest guy to KJ Jefferson, and he's six two two fifteen. Uh, I believe uh, Lucas Coley, the the early enrollee quarterback, who who's you know battling with K with Austin Renfro uh, for third, and I'm mentioning him mentioning him fourth, just because I think the extra year is going to benefit. Um, Austin Renfro, I think Austin Renfro being, you know, a guy that Kendall Browse recruited because he was familiar with his offense and he fit his style. I think that gives him an, an, an added edge. I think the fact that uh, Lucas Coley's a freshman is going to play at a disadvantage because typically freshmen get redshirted, especially if you're going to play them in some relief duty and get them some game experience in three, four games and then still be able to redshirt them. So I expect that to happen. But let me go back to why I'm talking about all these quarterbacks. Size, the athleticism, the ability to lead the team. I think K.J. Jefferson has all of that, and I think he is one of the very few quarterbacks on this roster that have, he's, he's the only one that has all of those that, that can demonstrate to me or to anyone out there right now like, there's no other quarterback on this roster that has the size and the speed and the athleticism and the command of this offense and, and the experience that can line up and do it. And I think he's the one, and that's why it's been pretty clear from almost almost day one. But there's, there's some interesting battles behind him for, uh, I mean, obviously Malik Hornsby, I think, has done enough to solidify himself as number two quarterback but it's it's going to be an interesting battle to see who's number three and how much the freshman quarterback plays and what you know talking about quarterbacks just briefly how long does Landon Rogers stay at, at tight end I mean uh the guy the guy signed as a quarterback you've got two tight ends coming in in this recruiting class and next year's recruiting class you have two four stars coming in does he stay at tight end I mean, or is just he, he just a filler this year, knowing that, like, hey, he's going to be in rotation. He's going to be there, a guy that we know we can count on if we need him. But, you know, if we don't need him, we can redshirt him. He can move back to quarterback next year. That's going to be interesting to, to talk about. But K.J. Jefferson leading this offense. There's a lot of pieces around this offense as far as offensive linemen, you know, returning starters, returning, you know, players with experience in a lot of positions, wide receiver, uh, offensive line, tight end. It's a little top-heavy as far as experience and talent and, and, and even size. Um, running back, you don't have a lot of size with experience and where you have size you have inexperience and you got you know rocket sanders uh aj green both freshmen both guys have been dinged up a bit in you know uh throughout the you know the summer and the fall and the spring uh and then you have aj green and a guy and a super senior and dj hammonds who has an injured past who i think along with josh oglesby are going to be kind of specialty type 
running back play. You know, they're going to have specialty type plays. I think Traylon Smith is a guy, the only guy that has returning experience. I think Dominique Johnson is a guy that's big that 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 is going to get in the rotation. But right now, he's he's not one of the top three running backs, and he's he's playing some tight end too. So uh, I think he's just a depth guy. And you have uh, you have freshman AJ uh, or Javion Hunt, excuse me. So haven't really heard much out of him. So neither have any walk ons. I mean, walk on uh, Dante Buckner or. Uh, he did pretty. He did pretty well, you know, in, in the spring game, and you know, performed well last season. So, um, you know, Coach Pittman spoke well of him last season. Haven't heard much of him, but uh, why there hasn't been a need to? You've talked a lot about AJ Green, Rocket Sanders, you know, Josh Oglesby, and Traylon Smith. You have the super senior in there, and TJ Hammond. So I think running back depth is there. The skill position players depth is there. Offensive line's depth is there. That's why basically there's no other offensive players on this list outside of KJ Jefferson and and Traylon Burks at number four and number two respectively. And then I go on to number five out of eleven, and I said what I said. But then the next two are offensive linemen and Ricky Stromberg, and this is a two for one. But at number five, Ricky Stromberg. Number six, Myron Cunningham. I think. Ricky Stromberg's, you know, fall camp injury was a scare. I think he's coming back. I think the the uh, the reps that you gave other players, in, you know, in his absence were, was key for the the longevity of the offensive line throughout the season. I think uh, I think Myron Cunningham coming back as a super senior, you know, trimming up his weight as far as you know putting good weight on, you know, getting rid of bad weight, and uh, having a good draft grade. Wanting to come back and prove something to, to you know somebody, anybody. I mean, he wanted to improve his draft stock. I mean, who doesn't want to play at this university? It's a beautiful campus. It's a great university. It has a lot to offer educationally, academically, athletically. All the aspects of the athletic department are finishing, you know, and you know, having success. And uh, I believe last season, Arkansas had 10 SEC championships throughout all the schools. And um, and just, you know, at several first-round draft picks uh, and, you know, call, and, and WNBA and NBA. And uh, just trying to promote the university. So <laughs> what what's not to like? And so we come back. He comes back. He... He loves the area, and he's going to break, you know, he's going to raise his draft grade. He's going to build this culture here. And I think it's coming because, I mean, you've got you've got whispers of, you know, more offensive linemen coming in, in, you know, recruiting. You've got a great recruiting class right now of four big, talented offensive linemen that are going to be coming in next year as he leaves. You've got a great, you know, group of young, big, talented offensive linemen behind you. I think the seeds are planted there for Myron Cunningham to leave a really good legacy. He just has to have a really good year. And I think if he does, the Razorbacks will have a good year. And I think he will get drafted a little bit higher than what his draft grade came back at, uh, you know, this time last winter. And then uh, after five and six, Ricky Stromberg and Myron Cunningham, I can't kind of think that you could almost give that you know that grouping a tie, but I struggled to identify you know one player 
that I could slot from, you know, five down. There was a large, you know, cluster of guys, and I just listed them. And uh, at the end, I think you, I think I'm running out of guys that I could rightly and justifiably identify as uh, as candidates to be on this team and on this list. But number seven, senior defensive back Buster Brown, Monteric Brown. From Ashdown, Arkansas. I think this guy is really undervalued. I mean, I'm not the only one. There are lots of people out there that think this guy is... is Well, they know that he's one of the leaders of the defensive backfield for Arkansas's defense. Uh, he's very undervalued as far as the SEC and, you know, national aspect goes. I think he's got, you know, uh, the ability to play in the NFL. He's got a good enough size, you know, frame and body at six foot 190. His coverage skills are there. And I think uh, this year's tape, and hopefully I'm right with my, you know, season schedule prediction. And if I am right, you're going to have an exodus of players because when you win more, you have drafts more. All right. Every team that has high draft picks has high wins, and that's just evidence of that. And when Arkansas has more wins, they have more draft picks. Last year, one guy drafted. He only won three games. So, I mean, that has a correlation. But uh, Montag Brown will get drafted. I'm going to say it now. He will get drafted. I don't know that he's going to be a you know first or second day type guy, but but he'll get drafted. I think he's I think he's he's a he's a savvy guy that that has a place on an NFL roster, and uh, I think he along with uh, um, Grant Morgan and Jalen Catalan have a great experienced, talented defensive you know core there, and uh, and with that. I'm going to move to number eight, and, and to strengthen that core, you have linebacker Bumper Poole, who's entering this season as a senior, but based on the COVID rule after this year, if he were to take his you know NFL draft grade and not like his grade, he could come back next year. It's just something to think about. It's that way for a lot of players out there, but entering this season, I don't see any reason why he would come back unless they're just saying, hey, you're not going to get drafted, but... uh. Grant, he's he's playing with Grant Morgan. You know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of these players are going to be gone after this season. So I just don't see really a, a lot of guys capitalizing on that option that have a strong attachment to any of these. You know, these these super seniors or these seniors in this class. So with that being said, Bumper Pool played last season with broken ribs. Uh, that really hampered him and his physicality play and physical play style of the SEC. And, uh, you know, Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan, Hunt, Hayden, Hayden Henry has had all kinds of, you know, shoulder problems, injury problems. So those three guys are very key in the linebacker rotation. You, you take one of those guys out, it puts a lot of pressure on the other two. Last year, they didn't have any depth. I think they found a couple of guys that they're going to be able to bring in as far as rotation in the linebacker depth. But but outside of that, last season, if one guy went down, it put a lot of pressure on the other two. And, and you know, Grant Morgan got hurt a couple times last season. You know, bumper pull because of that, was playing with broke ribs a lot of the, the, most of the, after the first game, so the entire season. 
and nothing was reported on it. And and then, you know, uh, Hayden Henry's had two shoulder surgeries, and uh, I think he's finally getting healthy throughout a, a lot of fall camp, actually. He's been taking number one reps, and Bumper Pool's been number two behind Hayden Henry. Interesting note, but at least you have some depth there, some, a lot of experience. So I think Bumper Pool, just his name, he gets a lot of exposure for Arkansas as far as, you know, unique uh, names in college football. There's uh, several lists out there if you want to check on uh, Twitter or, or just the Google, but Bumper Pool always represents Arkansas when he's playing as a, as a unique name in college football as a, as a, as a linebacker. Somebody is going to come in and bump you. All right, I'm going to move to number nine now, and I think it's the three-year starter Greg Brooks Jr., the nickelback. I think this guy has improved drastically each year. He's improved his body. He's improved his mind. He's recently said that his dad was an NFL player, and that's his goal is to get to the NFL, and he wants to do more. He's he's coming to his, his position coach. He's coming to the special teams coach. He's coming to head coach. He's coming to the defense coordinator saying, hey, I want to get on the field more. I want to do more. I want to contribute more, and that's what you want here. I think Greg Brooks has a lot to bring to this team. I think he is a guy that can contribute in the special teams as far as kick return, punt return. I think primarily where you're going to see him at is punt return. But I, you know, I've been getting those things mixed up now as far as you know what I've been reading and and you know the 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 intel that I'm getting. Um, it could be opposite, but 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 what I'm pretty sure is is Greg Brooks is going to be returning uh, punts. Ladarius Bishop is a, is a defensive back that's out there. Um, Chase Lowry and Keewon Parker are also freshman defensive backs that they're mentioning as far as defensive backs that could potentially be in the kick return game. Uh, that's all well and good, but Greg Brooks, big-time nickel. I think he's just come in, and that's one position that you don't have to worry about. You know, you don't have to worry about your your primary corner in Montaic Brown. You don't have to worry about your safeties in uh, Joe Fouché and Jalen Catalan. You don't have to worry about your nickelback position in Greg Brooks Jr. This guy's been a three-year starter, and I think, you know, well, a three-year starter, two-year starter, and he's entering his third year. So I think he's going to have a great year in his third year. I think, I think he has potential to really improve his draft grade by coming back, but by building on this season and the potential that he has this season on that and coming back for next season. But that's just me. That's just based on the physicality that I've seen out of him and out of, out of the, you know, the, the competitive the competition he's going against in the, in the SEC that, you know, is essentially putting him against SEC offensive weapons. I mean, just, just Alabama alone and LSU alone, the guys that he's faced against those those teams have have put him up against at least six NFL receivers. All right, so the guy's got talent. So I'm not discrediting that. I'm just saying experience and size has a lot to do, especially in the NFL. And uh, and we're gonna move on from that spot. And I'm gonna go number two, number ten, number ten is Eric Gregory, defensive lineman. And the reason why I say Eric Gregory is because he's young. He's on his third year on campus as a redshirt sophomore. He's 6'4", 295 pounds. I guarantee you the guy's walking around on game day at 
300 pounds. I mean, this guy can play all four positions on the defensive line. He pushed for starting time all throughout the, the uh, you know, the spring, summer, and fall camps. And he, he pushed for fall for playing time. And last season, he was a big contributor on the defensive line last season. I think, you know, there are a lot of guys in the defensive line that I could have named. I think because there's a lot of guys in, on the defensive line I could have named, that I didn't name any one guy specific unless they did something specifically important. And there are only two guys that can play all four positions on the defensive line. Markel Utzi, the super senior, the Missouri transfer from Little Rock, and uh, and Eric Gregory. And I think just the size advantage, uh, Gregory's about 5, 10 pounds bigger than Utzi. He's about four inches taller than Utzi. And the youth, the, the potential, the, the sheer ceiling that Eric Gregory has as far as um, it's the ceiling and, and the youth that he has over Markel Letsy. I think that is what propelled him to number 10. And uh, and also, my number 11, being a defensive back, is, is kind of what you know vaulted him to that 10 spot because you've got Greg Brooks at your nickel. You've got Montag Brown as your number one corner. You've got Jalen Catalan as the safety. You've got three defensive backs in front of you in the top nine. And uh, and my me my eleventh player being a defensive back, um, he had to be eleventh because of of that many defense backs in the top ten. And uh, Miles Slusher is a very deserving player of being on this list. I like this list. I think this list is well rounded. I think if you were to you know share this with anyone, uh, or maybe even do so, a little bit of intel research. On your own, you'll you'll find that this kind of this this list makes a lot of sense. I mean, Greg, uh, pardon me, Miles Miles Slusher is a guy that played last season as a freshman. He was very impressive, and you know the play you know that you saw him play in, and uh, he's got good size. Uh, he's got the ability to contribute in special teams. I think he will. In some capacity, he may not be a starter, but I think he's a guy that's going to be competing in practice, and I think he's going to be somebody that presses maybe the starter or the backup to play a little harder because they got a guy like Miles Slusher that, hey, he wants to be on the field. He wants to contribute in special teams. And I think um, I think all this new, you know, this, this new youth movement in the special teams, you know, area, is uh, is going to be an area of intrigue for me because Arkansas has been pretty porous on special teams and basically every aspect of special teams in basically the last five years. And you feel a little confident based on, you know, the, some, some press conferences that Sam Pittman's had as far as questions he's asked about at least they know who their starter is. He's currently injured. But they, they know who their starter is at punter and Sam Loy. And then the backup has performed well in Reed Bauer. So you hear that now. You've had lots of time, lots of reps with lots of players based on super seniors, based on a large early signing class. Um, you had a lot of players on class early. You had everybody come, you know, ready and going after it. You, you had Arkansas working on more special teams throughout all spring, summer, and fall than I think you would had any one individual 
aspect of the rest of the game, either offense or, or defense, worked. Uh, and that's interesting. And you had a lot of players to practice it with. So um, the special teams, I mean, um, I remember Niall Davis and, and Dennis Johnson being running backs that were back there returning kicks, and they would take it to the house, and it was so exciting. Kick return, I think, is one of the most exciting plays in football, and the rule change is 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 taking away that play, and understandably so, is very violent, very dangerous, very aggressive. But Arkansas has not had a kick return in a very long time, and I'm excited to see the potential that they have as far as the athletes that they're putting out at kick return and punt return. And that's why I have Miles Slusher at, at number 11. Also, the guy can play five different positions in the defensive backfield. Two different safety positions. The left or right boundary corners and the, uh, and the nickel corner, uh, the nickel defensive back position. That's five defensive uh, back positions that he can play. That versatility as far as kick return, punt return, and five different defensive back positions, I think that alone, as far as if you were to take all 11 guys off of this team, I think Arkansas would potentially lose a lot of games. But these 11 guys, I think, are very, very important, very crucial in all aspects of the game as far as offense, defense, and special teams. I'm very happy with my list. Let me know what you think about the list, and I'm going to move on to a little bit of recruiting news, just updates here and there, and then a little bit of just national news as we give some updates. So on to recruiting news, and in the last episode, and if you're not familiar, if you didn't last in the last episode, on social media, the nephew is the top-ranked, well, on, on one website, he's the top-ranked offensive lineman or offensive tackle in the 2022 class out of uh, uh, California. Ernest Green, a four-star offensive lineman. And his uncle is, was a letterman at Arkansas. And he gets on social media and basically is reaching out, saying, hey, can anyone get this kind of message to anyone affiliated with the University of Arkansas that can get you know, my nephew a scholarship offer. He's ready to commit. That's all he wants for Christmas. I think that's just kind of some sort of, you know, popular slogan that he threw in there to make himself seem a little funny about like, hey, this is really all he wants. But six foot five, three hundred and thirty pound four star offensive lineman from California that, you know, could potentially be a legacy as far as his uncle being a letterman here. Uh yeah. He gets offered. I mean, he reports today uh, around, uh, is is late in the evening, around 5, 6 o'clock. But, I mean, uh, out, you know, Pacific time is probably around 3, 4 o'clock. He gets a scholarship offer. And he reports this on Instagram. And basically, Instagram alone, uh, it, it may have been released in, several, in, in a, a few other spots. But, I mean, up, you know, prior to recording this, the only spot that I'd seen it is his Instagram. He reported that he got an offer, and it was his 29th scholarship offer. And it's just a little strange. I mean, wouldn't they have investigated kind of any former Razorback football players that lettered, that had relatives that were athletes themselves playing football, and that you would have any kind of in in that recruiting situation to 
to hand it off, to set you up, wouldn't they have already turned that stone? Maybe, maybe this guy's so good and he's on the West Coast in California that they thought they, that they would really struggle, you know, getting him. Maybe by the time they knew about him, they, they, they already had their priorities on the in-state guys here and two four stars and, and Andrew Chamblay and, uh, Marion Harris. You know, you've since added, you know, two additional offensive linemen and, and Patrick Kutas and, uh, Eli Henderson. You know, that's a really solid offensive lineman hall and four. Coach Pittman has said in the past that he's always wanted at least four offensive linemen. So, I think if this guy wants to jump on board, I think they're more than willing to take him. I say that because, uh, talk about recruiting, they can only bring in 23. They have 17 right now. They're going to want to hold a few spots back in case there's some good transfers out there in the transfer market that you can go and 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 recruit and sign a guy and have an instant fill. The transfer market's like an instant fill almost. It, it, you bring a guy that's already matured physically. Most In most cases, typically in most cases, you, you've got a guy that's matured, matured physically and mentally, and he's he's in the college athletic scene. He's adjusted to the campus lifestyle and the athletic department lifestyle and and how just the day in and day out routines go so you're going to get that aspect and that that consistency and that expectation of of playing and contributing a lot quicker with that transfer than you're going to get typically with a high school recruit but i say that to say that they will sign more high school players if they're the right kind of player and I say the right kind of player, and Ernest Green is one of those right kind of players. Gentry Williams is one of those right kind of players. There's a few other potential commitments, you know, some prospects out there to pay attention to right now. And uh, and one of those guys is an in-state athlete that can play safety or linebacker in Jalen White. And then uh, a defensive back out of uh, Tennessee in Anthony Brown. Say those two jump on board and you're sitting at 19 commitments and you think, oh, they can only bring in 23 commitments. They're basically done. You know, if they have four spots left. You know, there there's not a whole lot of buzz going on right now. A lot of the official visits that are planned are guys that are kind of hush hush they're you know they're committed elsewhere but they want to you know they want to you know check all their boxes you know check all their options out um maybe a friend's coming or a family member lives here and want and they want to come visit i don't know there's lots of options out there to where they can go and take advantage of this official visit set up as far as the way the university allows uh, will pay for everything and, and you're allowed a certain number you know in the recruiting process so um I think Gentry Williams, I think if you're sitting there at 19 and you get in and a guy like Gentry Williams and Ernest Green, say those two four stars want to jump on board. Well, no matter how many guys you have, you're going to take those guys. They will find a way in in the compliance department, scholarship wise, to make this work. If if they're sitting there at at 21 commitments say that say they get 21 they get they get Jalen white and anthony brown and two additional players that, that are unknown at this point because recruiting is kind of slow right now but say they get those four and and ernest green 
and Gentry Williams want to commit, Arkansas will take them and they'll they'll find a way to make that work. They'll have a great class. As of right now, they're doing pretty well. I mean, I think they're in top 20, top 20, top 25, top 30 at least, at least. I would be shocked if they're outside of the top 30. I haven't I haven't checked on that since the since the latest commitment cuz there you know, there hasn't been a, a whole lot of news there late. But uh Anthony Brown, Jalen White, you know, some defensive backs there, some some defensive players there, uh, Ernest Green and Gentry Williams. Those are uh, those are your four prospects to really keep an eye out on as far as Arkansas's class. They have seventeen. They have six spots open. There's only four guys there. I could legit. I could legitimately see Arkansas getting three out of those four, calling their class good at twenty and having three scholarships open, entering the. You know, entering the off season and um, and using those tra- those scholarships on transfers. I think that's a great way to to finish out their their recruiting class. I mean, I think uh, I think defensive line help is needed. I think uh, wide receiver help is needed. So we'll see how recruiting goes, whether that's in the transfer market or at the high school or junior college level. But let's move on to a little bit of news, and that's the alliance update. I talked about it in the last episode. I think this move came from the... Basically, this move was birthed out of the OU Texas news that they're going to the SEC. And with that, I just... The press conference, I mean, it it left a lot to be desired. There wasn't a whole lot of questions asked or answered. Um, They... The source that leaked the information last night, which I mean, they got everything. They got a lot of things that you wanted. You got a you got a source leaked. I mean, if you do anything right as far as information being leaked into the media, something that you want announced, you could have did a, a little bit of a delay with with this. I think they were really quick with it, but you had you had a uh, a source leak, you had a rumor, you had a press conference. Even the backdrops to the press conference were, were, were you know, a, co- a cooperation, you know, a, an alliance, an, an allegiance. They, they were all three, you know, the, Pac, the Pac-12 conference emblem, the Big Ten conference emblem, the ACC conference emblem, all, all three of them in this backdrop for all three commissioners of each conference in this, you know, virtual... Uh, press conference for media across the country and uh, and it's just it's just an interesting uh, point in uh, college football as far as the all the rapid change that is happening this move the allegiance or the alliance it, it seems almost defensive based on Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and I mean rightfully so that was a power move by Greg Sankey based on the questions that he had been asked, the, the situations that he was placed in, and the way each situ each, you know, party involved has handled their situation since the announcement. It all seems very well played and and orchestrated. So Greg Sankey has this power move and then everything else was in flux. Ever since that was announced, it's it's been in limbo, and you have 
these conferences, these universities, these athletic directors, and these commissioners of these conferences, just scrambling to find footing and meaning in college football. Because you have this power conference forming, you know, virtually forming just right in front of your eyes in the SEC. And what are you going to do? Well, they did, I guess, the best that they could. They have aligned themselves, the three conferences. They listed themselves as 41 individual universities. I'll have to get out. I have not listed all 41 schools out to identify who is in that list. I heard a rumor that one of the 41 is Notre Dame. Makes a lot of sense with the uh, historical, you know, rivalries that Notre Dame has with the Pac-12 schools and uh, the historic rivalries that Notre Dame has with the Big Ten schools such as Michigan, Ohio State, you know, schools of that nature, Penn State. Uh, I think there's a lot of reason to like that alliance as well because it it also involves the ACC and uh, and the play within uh, the ACC last year due to COVID and you know hey we we're, we're gonna play in a conference this year based on you know the COVID situation so so the fact that they played in the ACC last year the fact that they're linked in this alliance and um, they have you know, some relation to the Big Ten and the Pac-12. I think that's a, a really good sign uh, for the strength of the rest of the Power Five. One interesting thing that did come out of the press conference is they didn't include Bob's Bowles, Bob Bowlesby, the, uh, the commissioner of the Big 12 conference. They didn't include him in this. And he's sitting on the outside because all this is happening I mean, the rug's getting pulled out from underneath him. He's sitting there watching, you know, all this happen, and there's nothing that he can do at the moment. There's nothing that we've seen or heard him do in response other than, you know, a few little complaints and motions here and there. But, I mean, the, the dominoes have yet to fall as far as the timeline on Texas and Oklahoma, but we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the dominoes fall as far as the conference realignment and how this alliance affects the conference realignment. Because this could be a major roadblock for a lot of teams in in uh, in conference realignment. And I also think that this was silently a power move in support of the Big 12. Also, that, that statement as far as uh, the Pac-12... The Big Ten and the ACC said, and said, end quote. Let me find it. Let me find it. Um, we need the Big Twelve. Those those three Power Five conference members, you know, commissioners of those conferences, said we need the Big Twelve. College athletics, and more in particular, college football, needs the Big Twelve conference as as well if they created an alliance there's no need for them to poach teams like west virginia or iowa state away from a dying league in in boise state and still say this comment unless it is one of the most just evil statements that you could make 
to say we need this conference, college football, college athletics. The landscape of academics and athletics across all of America needs the Big 12. How could you say that and then go in and pooch and poach two of the Big 12's, you know, most productive, most relevant schools as of late? I don't think you can. I think this is a setup for the Big 12 to regain a little bit of footing. I think any conference realignment that you see or hear about will involve the Big 12 in some capacity. Whether someone is leaving the the Sun Belt, whether someone is leaving Conference USA, I doubt it, but you'd never know. Or whether someone's leaving the American Conference. Now, I, I've heard from, uh, from other podcasts, in particular Josh Pate, and he's saying, hey, don't sleep on the American Conference. Don't doubt what they have as far as TV markets, as far as population and area, and as far as the schools that they have in the American Conference. They know what they have, and I think that they are not, you know, just going to willingly jump ship. And I agree. But the automatic bid of the Power Five football, you know, power conferences in the college football playoff expansion that was agreed upon and is the upcoming college football expansion that everybody's looking forward to, it gives a guaranteed spot for the Big 12 champion. And then I mentioned two specific conferences because of teams that I think are right to move to the Big 12 as far as regionality, as far as location with the rest of the teams that are currently inside the Big 12 Conference, and as far as nationality, some some teams that are going to get some eyes and some wows, like, ooh, look what the Big 12 did. And Louisiana is one of those schools in the Sun Belt. I say the Sun Belt. Louisiana is the only school that I'm thinking about for the Big 12. Their team in Billy Napier that that has done a great job in building a program there. They have a lot of experience and talent this season. I think they're, they're going to put that on display this season. And in between now and the next two years, I would be shocked if Louisiana didn't get some sort of, at least if you want to call it an interview, by either the, the American Athletic Conference or the Big 12 Conference. I think one of those conferences is going to try to make a power move as far as the last remaining power conference spot. There's not an individual conference outside of the Big 12 that could be that last you know, spot, except for the American Conference. The American Conference has at least 12 Division I football members in their conference that, that are viable schools, that, that you know, the top comp- competition could be poached to the Big 12. I mean, I'm talking schools like Houston, SMU, Tulsa, Tulane, Central Florida. I mean, you take you take those and you throw in Louisiana with the eight schools that are currently in the Big 12, and that's 14-team league that has instantly grabbed some national news as far as Hey, you get this former SEC head coach and Gus Malzahn and this, you know, this high-powered, you know, American athletic conference, the AAC conference and in the UCF Golden Knights. You know, the Golden Knights have been a really good program of late. 
and and to get them in Louisiana into the Big 12, and then you get some regionality with SMU and Houston. You get those Texas teams all in there, increasing that rivalry. You get Tulsa in there playing with Oklahoma State to have an interstate rivalry game that you can have and maintain in the Big 12. And 14 solid teams. You could also add Memphis and uh, and basically anybody else that's left that hasn't jumped ship to another conference. Maybe you go after San Diego State if you're the Big 12. Maybe you go after Boise State or Fresno State, Utah State maybe. I don't know. Uh, we'll wait and see where the dust settles on conference realignment and any more rumors that, that come out in between you know, now and when those rumors come out. But from now on, all I know is the Alliance is, that was just a fun thing to talk about. It was a fun moment. It was kind of funny to see. And uh, the SEC is going to be big and powerful, just as always. Nothing has really changed except for, well, there's some there's some outspokenness on uh, on the people that have been on the, uh, the, the, the worst end, you know, the, the beaten end. The, the red end of the beating of the stick that the SEC has and has had in the the aspect of college football. And, uh, and that's all I have for today's show. Hey, everyone, if you like the show, if you like the content, if you have any suggestions, hit me up at Mark Sports Talk. This is the email, MarkSportsTalk at gmail.com. Hit me up on the Twitter page at MarkSportsTalk. And don't forget to give the show a like and a follow. If you think somebody else will like the show, don't forget to share it. Hit that subscribe button. You know, hit that notification bell because I'm putting these videos out. These, these not these videos, these podcasts out all the time. So you're going to want to get that update on when I've released a podcast. So I'll see you tomorrow and let's hope for good news. (laughs) 